This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with first time guest Peter Lierney. Uh, he's the principal of Solutioneering, and I'll let Peter introduce himself and his company. Peter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark, for having me. Solutioneering is a uh, company that helps companies win competitive pursuits. And we do that by focusing on the necessary upfront thinking to answer the most important question of competitive pursuit. And that's why your company. I started my career uh, over 25 years ago when I got out of the military as a junior officer. I started working for some consultancies like some big four and others. Uh, 20 years ago, I joined a firm uh, that where I did delivery, managed programs, did capture, uh, developed proposals, and more. And that's where I developed professionally. Out of that company, uh, the founder pulled me aside after we acquired, and he says, you know, the way you win business is a different way of thinking. Why don't you put it down? I did put it down, and I brought him a framework that I developed, and he said to me, you know, Pete, you closed the gap in the market. The market doesn't show us how to think. I subsequently uh, built a course around it, was teaching it. And then I had a really, uh, really good man, Mark, who you know you had on your show, really great expert in uh, government IT. Uh, He said, hey, come work with me and apply that framework. And I did. And with that framework, we won over $760 million of competitive wins on major recompetes. Uh, I turned that way of thinking into a book, which surprisingly, a lot of people started buying. And then the past two years, we actually turned that thinking into a software as a service And now I spend a good amount of my time um, making companies aware of this framework in an automated way that I I, uh, help companies do thinking to help win competitive pursuits. Okay. And for those of you who are interested, Peter and I will talk about his software as a service, but we're not going to talk about it until the last segment because I want Peter to share some of his knowledge on the market because He is an expert in this arena. He pays attention to what's going on in the market. So we're going to start right there, Peter. The state of uh, government contracting uh, the industry as you see it, please. There's a lot of things you could bring up. And uh, when I look at it, you know, we're over like $30 trillion in spending right now. That's a lot of money, Uh, particularly a lot of it was spawned by the pandemic. And when you think about now the current uh, domestic agenda, the changing geopolitical situation, that really means the spending of more money. What does that mean for us in a FedCon space? That means opportunity. But in the flip side of it, you wonder how much more money can we spend? I mean, are we not, when are we going to be at the breaking point to delivery uh, starting out? Whenever I look at winning a competitive bid, I look at the word stewardship. Are we really being a good steward of the taxpayers' dollars? Are we going to give the government real quantifiable benefits realization and risk mitigation? you know, to help them with their uh, agency mission. If you look at the agencies uh, and you look at winning competitive bids, you know, the mission of government is really complex and it has a a lot of challenges and it it leans on industry to help it. And when you really think about it, um, you can't treat winning a competitive bid as a transactional activity or a process. You know, like critical thinking is really required 
uh, to really help agencies with their mission. But now when I look at things, I say, you know, we're in a new place because post-pandemic, I feel that this hybrid workforce is here to stay. So it changes the way the government people interact with each other. It changes the way we interact with the government, and it changes how we interact with each other to try to win competitive pursuits. Uh, it used to be, you, if you had a badge, you could walk the halls of an agency, you could get the, a meeting with a potential customer, and you can have a face-to-face -face discussion. Now you have to be a little bit more creative about it. I know there's industry days. I know there's um, things are more uh, collaboration tool-based, like Teams and Zoom, but you don't have the same um, opportunity to get the same type of familiarity that you did in the past. So you have to really work at it. At the same time, to win these competitive pursuits, we used to be in the same room together, face-to-face, -to -face, doing analyses and formulating strategies. And how do we really do that as efficiently and effectively as we did um, before the pandemic? I think that's a constraint. Also, I was reading the other day that um, on the government side, the government is like 6.5 times more people in the government are over the age of 50 than under the age of 30. And that's a problem because um, that means that there's going to be like a tsunami of context being lost. And it's not like those individuals are all coming out and are going to come to the industry side. It's actually going to make it more challenging, I believe, for industry to uh, help the government with those pending retirements. On that side, are you thinking of the institutional knowledge that's going to be lost? I remember way back when there used to be like internships where they would train people, and we're talking 70s and 80s, right? Internships where agencies would groom people to migrate into the GS 12, 13, 14 area, and then up to senior executives. So there was a grooming program. They don't have that anymore. So when, when you're dealing with contracting officers in the government, do you see a gap between the knowledge of somebody who's 45, 50, 55, and those who are, say, under 35? Yes. When you think about it, this problem actually existed, I feel, 20 years ago, and it was really never fixed. So this is nothing new. It's just that it's gotten worse. Now, to Are you your... talking about the uh, Clinton-era reforms? The Clinton era reforms, I think, gutted the, uh, the workforce and government because it hollowed it out in the middle. And so you had a lot of people who were much older. You had this bathtub effect and a lot of institutional knowledge wasn't passed down. And so a lot of younger people, they do come into government because there's that bathtub effect. They're not getting that mentoring, which is essential. So if you look at challenges that government has just on the procurement side, what was common knowledge? in terms of um, doing an acquisition, uh, developing a contract, that knowledge is less common because you can have knowledge, but it's the tribal knowledge, it's the wisdom, right, that you would get by interacting with people who are older who had many more years experience that's being lost. So what you're, like in baseball, you very often see uh, a fair to execute in the fundamentals. So I think that you're having a lot more um, uh, risk-induced into uh, solicitations, which makes it harder for industry um, to give the government a uh, more risk-reduced response in turn, because risk is already embedded up front. And I, I think the number one challenge in, in government is this talent management problem that we're having on their side. 
now, likewise, we're also having on our side too. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see the same thing. I see it on both sides of the equation, though. I see it in, in government contracting shops where, you know, the seasoned people who may be making, you know, a fair amount of money are being replaced by maybe two people who are recent college grads who don't have that institutional knowledge, who don't have that 30 years plus experience in the market. Another thing I see is that um, on the contractor side, there is a high turnover of uh, business development, capture management, and proposal management staff. So likewise, you know, if you, you think about a company, I think of a company I was interacting with in, uh, not too long ago, they had an individual who was with them for 17 years, and he had all their institutional knowledge, right? And that individual left. So what happens is when uh, we lose those type of individuals, you can hire a really uh, a player, business developer, or even a capture manager. But because that company's tribal knowledge has been lost, those people can't perform at that expected level. So this bathtub effect of being hollow in the middle, uh, which prevents us from getting outcomes of um, winning competitive bids, uh, helping give real benefit realizations to government and risk mitigation is becoming more challenging, in my opinion. And in, and what I'm saying is not uh, esoteric information. I think that uh, it's commonly known in our industry. Okay. We're going to go ahead and take our first break here. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Peter and I shall return right after this, and we're going to discuss some up- the trends that are happening in the market. Uh, you're listening to Amtower Off Center. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Peter Lierney of Solutioneering. Peter, we were talking about the uh, overall state of the the industry. Let's talk about some trends. So, I mean, you know, the government's adopting new technologies or trying to adopt new technologies. And they're trying to set up systems to do it quicker. So start there and give me your views, please. Sure. I think that there is an increasing um, rapid adoption of new technologies to, you know, address the challenges that government's having. You know, we think of cyber, we think of cloud, we think of sec DevOps, low code, no code, AI, unmanned systems, et cetera. And there is a report by Gartner, and it's their 2021, 23 Emerging Technology Roadmap for Large Enterprises. And they have a really great graphic in there. And in this graphic, it's, it's like a pizza pie sliced up into like six slices. It has like uh, a slice for network, a slice for security, digital workspace, IT automation, storage database, right? Computer infrastructure and platform services. And within these slices, they have all of these technologies that are um, mature enough from an industry support perspective and other, other factors to be deployed. I feel that uh, the government is going to start to even buy more of these to help it. For example, like in, um, in the area of IT automation, you might start to see more virtual support um, agents or in digital workspace, which is definitely becoming more prevalent. You're going to start to see like more citizen integration tools. So that's a trend that I see. Um, you also start to see a change in the government's uh, spending priorities. For example, you're starting to see like 
more and more um, IT modernization and migration, more managed technical, analytical, and engineering services, and business process outsourcing. In fact, I, I read in a report that there's like at least $140 professional services. $140 billion. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of money. And, I, and I, I think the range I'd read was like $140, $180 billion. And so when you think about some of the challenges that government's having, you know where this money's being spent. Then on the professional services side, like you think of management consulting and the type of big companies that provide that, they're almost up through 2021, I was reading, almost over $100 billion in professional services. So there's a lot of money being poured into the federal market space for federal contractors to win competitively. If you think about our market, it's becoming more and more competitive. Think about the number of contractors in the federal market space, companies, right after 9-1-1. And then think about the number that are there today. In fact, I think that if you think about the number of service-disabled veterans that existed in the early 2000s compared to the number that are today, and with this push to uh, become more equitable in, in government contracting, I think you're going to see a uh, push towards more small disadvantaged businesses. So what that means is there's going to be more people coming into our market space to uh, have a piece of that pie, which doesn't mean you're going to get a slice of that pie because it's going to make it a lot more competitive. I also see that um, there's likely going to be a lot more um, mergers and acquisitions because companies are trying to buy uh, more capabilities in the area of cyber and cloud and sec DevOps and, again, the AI and low-code, no-code, unmanned systems and more. I feel that once a capability is acquired from a, um, and brought into your company, and it's an enabler to winning your work, but doesn't guarantee it. You know, I always feel that the right upfront work and advance of the proposal response still has to be done to win so that you can uh, produce the right evidence to answer that, what I call the ultimate question, you know, why your company. Uh, there is a movement in our market we're seeing right now to create uh, better processes and tools and operations to adjust to this new work environment, this distributed work environment that we have, video collaboration tools. Right. We use we all use Teams. We all use WebEx and Zoom. Uh, you think of the AI machine learning based customer relationship management systems. Uh, there's a lot of good ones out there. Right. You think of uh, companies are developing automated document parsers and proposal management tools and proposal uh, project management workflow tools. These are all tools in our market that I think are uh, increasingly uh, the trends that are occurring. OK. I, I want to go back to the uh, you referenced the set asides like the SDVOBs. So there's a variety of vehicles out there that have spots for small disadvantaged business. You know, we have GWACs like uh, uh, 8A Stars that are exclusively for 8A IT companies. We have the Vets contract. We have you know Soup has a number a, a huge percentage of its slots for smalls, but the the number of businesses doing business with the government is in the hundreds or registered to do business with the government is in the hundreds of thousands. You know, the number of spots on soup total is 192. For 8A stars, I think there's about a thousand companies on stars right now, give or take. In that kind of competitive situation, 
you've been helping uh, companies on your own now for a couple of years. If a small comes to you and says, you know, let's, let's say it's an IT company, let's say it's a SaaS company, what's your best advice to them? Where are you going to aim them? How are you going to help them? Fair enough. Ultimate question is, why should I bring you on the team, right? You would mm-hmm. never want to pick a company solely because they check off some socioeconomic advantage. I don't care if it's a a woman-owned, service-disabled veteran or whatever. That does a disservice to you. That does a disservice to them. They have to close a capability gap that you have, right? So they have to close a capability gap. Maybe they're bringing customer closeness that you don't have. Maybe they're bringing a mission area context that you don't have. Maybe they just have some type of credibility in a particular area, but they need to bring something to the table. And I also tell these companies that we all have a challenge today with uh, getting the same level of customer familiarity that we used to do. And obviously, small companies do not have the same resources. But context is king. And that old saying we learned as children, leaders read and readers lead. There's so much context that you can get about an agency's mission area. Besides what you pull off their web, GAO has written a report about everybody. Congressional research has written a report about everybody. I say understand what that customer's issues are and why they're issues and understand what I call, you know, the priorities of them and the psychographics. That means to the best extent possible, try to understand who are they issues to, not only your customer, but your customer's customer. So if my customer is IRS, well, who are the IRS's customers? They're the taxpayers who or calling the help center to make an inquiry on the status of their tax return. So that's the first thing. The second thing is understand the key factors that have to be brought to the table to address that customer's issues and why those key factors are important. And I look at them from a technical perspective or a management or personnel or corporate experience perspective. So yes, you're bringing a capability to the table. Well, for example, we're a small um, woman-owned business. We have uh, 20 people that do sec DevOps. That's great. But now also make sure that when you're talking with potential primes and others, that you can really articulate the customer's issues and why their issues, the key factors brought to the table, address those issues and why they're important. Do your homework. And, and that's really where we always, I was, was told when I was much younger, we are in a thinking person's business. And that's what I, I tell uh, small businesses. You got to do your homework and you have to realize you are in a thinking person's business and winning business competitively and growing is not a transactional activity. It's not a process. So you, you called it context is king. Uh, I did an interview a while back with Lee Fredrickson, who does uh, his company hinge marketing, does a lot of research into why and how companies win business. And he called it making your service relevant to the customer. So context relevance, basically the same thing if it doesn't resonate with your customer and as you put your customer's customer you're missing a huge part of the equation and you have to test things you have to test you know, the uh, issues and key factors for the client uh, if you qualify what you think is a discriminator um, you need to test that discriminator to the greatest extent possible with the customer now all the companies out there have the same challenges. We all have, we're all constrained, particularly now in our new environment, with getting that same 
customer familiarity that we used to be able to get more easily in the past. But the companies, regardless of size, I feel that will eventually get the competitive advantage are the ones that focus on the thinking on how to do that. That's why our business is not an easy business to break into, and it's not an, an easy business to excel in. Excellent points. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Peter and I shall return right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Peter Lierney of Solutionaring. Um, this, this discussion is uh, taking a deep dive into the issues around our contracting community and the issues particularly facing BD uh, proposal and capture people. Peter, let's talk about the the key problem areas and start with a hybrid workforce, please. Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, I believe that the hybrid workforce is here to stay. Uh, Now the question becomes, in this new environment, how do we win competitive pursuits? Because... um, Before the pandemic, we used to be in the same conference room face-to-face, understanding what I call the issues, key factors of the customer, establishing a notion of what a benchmark, uh, doing different types of competitive assessment, qualifying discriminators and formulating win strategies and proposal strategies and building inventories of strengths. All the thinking that we used to do before the writing of proposal, that intimacy that we used to have is is more challenging now. So how do we get it? That's a challenge. I feel that a lot of companies uh, are not doing the necessary upfront thinking to squeeze the uncertainty down in advance of winning a competitive pursuit to you know, increase the probability of winning, uh, helping they ensure they can execute successfully and be profitable. And what do I mean by that? Because very often uh, in, our, in our business, when companies become under pressure, they want to throw a lot of bids out the door and hope something will stick. Well, you got to do the upfront work. It's better to bid less and win more than try to throw everything. I have a a friend who's worked for many years in GSA and ran an an acquisition vehicle. I won't name it. And she used to say to me, companies used to come there and say, Pete, uh, they'd say to me, "Why, why are we getting squeezed off the vehicle? Because they were winning business. And she says, because they weren't doing the thinking. We could tell immediately, as soon as we opened up their response, if that was a copy and paste and if they did their homework. So they produced a compliant output, but they didn't get an outcome because they didn't do the necessary thinking up front. This is implying that that each procurement really has some unique facets that have to be addressed. And to go back to our, our previous conversation in the last segment, uh, it's got to have context. It's got to have relevance. And so many people have that, you know, that library of proposals they've done before and your cut and paste method. Give, give me an idea of how many companies you think, what percentage of companies use that cut and paste? I believe it's more than half. And, you know, in any human relationship, if you don't understand what's important to a person or why it's important, then no matter what they have to offer, falls in deaf ears. And it's the same in our business. A lot of companies, they talk about creating, you know, content reuse libraries. And when people become overwhelmed and they're schedule driven, they just try to produce a, an output that's on time, that's compliant. 
And I've heard many, many proposal people say that to me. They say, well, what else am I going to do, right? But they produce an output, regrettably, for that, that company, but it's not going to win. Again, it takes the upfront thinking. Just like, for example, if you look at another key problem area, a lot of companies, they buy um, third-party business intelligence. There's a lot of great companies in our town here that provide uh, third-party business intelligence. But to me, that's just table stakes. You need that information. They provide a very valuable value-added service because if you didn't have access to their services, you'd be at a competitive disadvantage. But does that really give me a competitive advantage if you could buy the same intelligence? The competitive uh, advantage really comes into play is when you take that context as well as other contexts you get from other sources and you do the necessary analyses that I had mentioned earlier. You know, you do the issue key factor analysis, you, you do the competitive assessment, you qualify discriminators, formulate the win strategies, you, you build the inventory of strengths because we know that winning responses are scored, they're not read. So if you don't have the strengths in advance of the writing, what are you writing to? And you don't get the strengths and as well as the strategies, for example, unless you do the analyses. So that's not really um, evident to a lot of companies I see. There's also um, a lot of companies spend a lot of money on capturing new business and trying to position for major recompetes. But very often, if you go to a biweekly BD meeting and you're up there presenting a PowerPoint slide, very often there's little behind that slide. You can tell that a lot of companies are not doing the upfront work, so they can't traceably, irrefutably, defensively um, explain why they should win the bid. And what that does is that really creates um, a problem for everybody else downstream, that proposal team. So I feel that um, um, you see a lot of companies, in a, in a, in a, because they're not doing the upfront work, that gets passed on to proposal teams that get wiped out, and it causes a turnover, high turnover in a lot of companies. Um, you now, the, see- the high turnover, is that because – management is irritated with the BD staff or the proposal staff are not winning or because the proposal staff isn't getting enough support? What, what, are, the, what are the reasons there? Winning is a team sport. No one person can ever claim, I won this. It's always a we statement, right? So the executive team has a role to be committed and to be, to be present, right? The business mm-hmm. developer has a responsibility to really try to qualify a deal the right way, the capture manager has that responsibility to take over what's handed over to them and look at that proposal manager, look at that solution architect, look at that program manager, look at those individuals who'll be asked to be authors in a proposal as their customers. That's what a really good capture manager does. Looks at those individuals as their customers first and foremost. Because if you can't take care of that proposal manager as your customer, you're not ultimately going to take care of the customer. So what do I mean by what should they be doing? Well, besides meeting with a customer and trying to build a team, what else are you doing? Are you doing the necessary analyses to win? And unless you, don't, unless you do those analyses, and some of them I mentioned, you're not producing the material evidence that the C-suite needs to make sure that, yeah, what's, behind that, what's up on that slide, but there's something real behind it. That's the first thing, because the C-suite is very busy. And you're not handing over to those individuals downstream, that proposal team. And so I like to say the list of strategies that you're going to be applying in, into that response, 
the list of strengths against the evaluation criteria and more. So you have to look at everyone as your customer. Um, and that's another, that's a key part I like to make. Another thing is, you know, you come across companies I see in terms of winning recompetes. So you used to say, well, you know, you win a deal, you have a 70% chance of keeping it. And, you know, it's hard to unseat incumbent. But, you know, I see a lot of incumbents being unseated. So because there's an inability to understand on how to win a recompete. If you don't start preparing for that recompete on day one, you're already behind. And you better start preparing for that recompete no later than halfway through the life of that contract. Because your competitors who really want to win it, the good companies, they're already two years ahead of you figuring out how they're going to exploit your, uh, your weaknesses and neutralize your strengths. So you've got to be figuring it out ahead of time. So a lot of companies, they, uh, they do not protect their base and put themselves in a position to land and expand properly. Another problem that I see in our business right now is just the ability to develop inexperienced staff. It's becoming more challenging because before the pandemic, uh, if I was in a space doing delivery and I was amongst my team, they, I was interacting with them. If you were working face-to-face with individuals and proposal team, you were sharing that tribal knowledge, that institutional knowledge. So I think that's a challenge. The mentoring is hard. Okay. The, you know, what, what you're talking about right there, I've been hired to come in and train staffs on various aspects of the government market, including, you know, how the government buys for, you know, newbies coming into the market who are hitting the phones, right? And part of what I do prepping for that is I go to the most experienced people in the company and do some serious brain picking because I bring no institutional knowledge into those situations. So it's difficult to overstate about when you talk about your, your tribal knowledge, that's it. It's institutional knowledge. If you're, if you are a company that it does not retaining people for a significant length of time, you're not developing any institutional knowledge. You're going to be one of those companies that slings constantly. How do you advise a company like that yourself? The way I look at it is uh, I was part of a company that was really successfully acquired a number of years ago. And there's some companies in this town, I'm not going to name them, they're really successful. And what makes those companies successful is they invest in their people and they have a culture. It's culture in the FedCon space that makes a company successful. That's why when you acquire a company and you think, okay, I'm acquiring a vehicle or I'm acquiring your past performances or capabilities. But if you really understood what made that company successful, it was the culture of the company. And that's the hardest thing to buy. So I, I would tell people, regardless of the size of your company, and particularly if you're a small company, on day one, you have to have the right set of core values. I'm not talking about the one that's on the website. I'm talking about the one that's inside. Everybody knows in the company how you hold yourselves accountable. And you have to build a culture and invest in your people. The companies that have the most success are the ones who invest in their people. We are a people. We, we are in a people business. And that's what, and, you know, we think of the age of here, 2022 and soon to be 23 and technology, this and that. And we were talking about sec DevOps on low, low code, no code and AI. That's all a distraction. We have always been and we always will be a people-driven business. And once you start taking people for granted, once you do not invest in them, once you start treating your people as a commodity, your company will never grow. And it com- my company was successful 
because our founders, they invested in us. And I'm, I was a beneficiary of that investment and many others were too. So that would be, that's my number one advice. Invest in people, build a culture and everything else will come. That is great advice. And it's a great place for us to end this segment. Peter and I will return right after this. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Stay tuned. There's more. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I have 10, 12 more minutes with uh, with Peter Lierney of Solutionaring, and we're going to talk about his software as a service tool in a second. But we were talking between the breaks. You know, a lot of people find the stuff that we're talking about here boring, dry, et cetera. This is the biggest damn market in the world. It's the most exciting market in the world. It's one of the most competitive, maybe the most competitive in the world. And there's tons of stuff out there that you can do to do the research that Peter's been talking about this whole time. So one of the reasons, the main reason Peter is here is I wanted him to be able to tell you about this tool that he has developed that incorporates just so many different facets of this process. So, Peter, take it away. Tell me about the uh, solution engineering tool set, please. Certainly, Mark. So the, probably the tool wouldn't have existed if it wasn't for some encouragement and also the pandemic. I had developed a framework that I was using to help win business. And I would use this framework as I engage client executives on major recompetes and sales executives on new logos. And people would say to me, uh, the problem is, Pete, you're the product when you're interacting with companies. And that was true. And the man who uh, mentored me, who I grew up under professionally, he's the one that encouraged me to build this SaaS. It wasn't until the uh, pandemic came that opened up a window of opportunity for us to do that. So what the solution engineering tool is or set is essentially is is a tool that helps you do the upfront thinking to help win a competitive pursuit. It closes a gap in the market. So there's a lot of tools that are customer relationship management tools. And then there's tools that shred proposals and the proposal management workflow tools. But there's, there's no tool in the middle that allows us, particularly in this remote work environment, to do the necessary thinking in a collaborative manner to win the pursuit. So what we look at, we're looking at really uh, set as a, like a strategic analysis support system. And so in my book, Solution Engineering, I have a framework called the Solution Engineering Framework. And it goes through a number of uh, activities, uh, which you could use, do these activities end to end or piece part or any combination thereof. But it shows you how to do that thinking. Well, set is just an automation of that thinking. And so I have a client, a large order advisory client that I had taught my course to. And then I, uh, they turned around like a few months later and they won a $50 million deal in the Veterans Administration. And then they asked, hey, can you help us with a deal in DHS, which I, wa- I was doing? So they said, can you help us do a competitive assessment? And that's where I introduced the tool to them for the first time over a year ago. And they said it before we launched it. And they said, hey, can uh, we subscribe to this? And they were our first subscriber. So they're using it right now on four major deals, each about over $150 million. But what SET does is it builds a visual blueprint for you to win. If you and I were to do a competitive assessment right now, 
I could do a competitive assessment, SWOT analysis, better comparisons, uh, Portify Forces analysis, Black Hat, remotely with the same rigor as if you and I were face-to-face. If I wanted to formulate qualified discriminators or formulate win strategies, I can do that. But every time I'm doing the analysis in this tool, uh, it's creating not only a visual blueprint, but a digital thread. So if I say, well, in his evaluation factor is 80 points, and I need 80 points because in order to uh, get the maximum points, I could trace those strengths that I developed in the tool as a result of the analysis I did all the way back to the, the driving issues and key factors of that procurement. So, and every time I use the tool, it captures the intellectual capital of individuals using it. So it captures your, your competitive intelligence as well as intellectual capital of subject matter experts using the tool. So we the, really when, look at when, the t- when you're talking about using the tool, so they're, they, they create input at every step of the process. Yeah. So for example, when you think about using a CRM, what we're really doing is we're just entering data, right? We're, it's really a data, people are entering data. But what's set is meant to be used in a collaborative manner. If you and I were going to do what I call issue key factor analysis uh, in the old days, you and I would be in a conference room and we'd have a spreadsheet up on a screen or we'd be up on a whiteboard and we're interacting with each other. I could get the same type of intellectual rigor using set with you in a remote environment, Right. If you and I were trying to do notional winner benchmark, if you and I were doing due diligence on our past performances or technical approach or formulation of our staffing solution and more, where we used to do that face-to-face, I could get the same rigor in a collaborative manner. This is what makes that different. It's meant to be used. And one of my customers is essentially using it as it's in lieu of the PowerPoint slides for its gate reviews on the deals it's using the visual blueprint on a deal-by-deal basis. And what SET's doing is, as you're doing it, it's federating all the data for a specific opportunity, but it's federating the data across all opportunities. So every time you're doing it, you're building a competitive intelligence of your crown jewels for your own company. So if I had a third party I got data from, if I met with the customer, um, I got all these sources, and I did the analyses, the crown jewels is not when I buy data, because you could buy it too. The crown jewels is when we collectively analyze it and we make decisions around it, strategies and more. That becomes a crown jewels. And that's why when companies acquire other companies, they never get the return on investment. Because what, if I give you the winning proposal and I say, oh, here's our, here's our past performances and here's our contractual vehicle, but you don't know how I won. What SET does is it preserves, the, as I like to say, the original Greek it shows you how you got to, to the competitive win. And that's the crown jewels. And that's what companies lose when they acquire another company. So that's why I always tell people, if you use set, win or lose, the value of your company is still going to increase over time. Cool. You know, we, we, we discussed a number of issues before, obviously, we came on the show. So the biggest uh, issue facing companies making it that go no-go decision is built into set as well. Why your company or why not your company? Yes. Set is 61 tools right now that could be used end-to-end piece part or any combination thereof. A capability of set allows me to quantify and evaluate zero to one on the goodness of the handoff between business development and capture. Mm -hmm. That is a key input for a go, no-go decision. Now, 
captures could go for six months, could go for 18 months or more, right? And how do you get the transparency into how well the capture is going? Set can also quantify the goodness of the capture. Like I look at a number like P win means nothing. If you have 15 companies going after a pursuit, how can you say your P win is 55 or 60%? It doesn't make mathematical sense. P win to me is like the temperature of the day. It's always changing. We learned in math, Y is a function of X. To me, P win is a function of an algorithm set called pursuit index, which measures, did you do what you're supposed to do? Did you do it well? And can you show evidence of it? So set is meant to be used. And as you're doing it, as you're creating the evidence, you're able to quantify that evidence and you're able to substantiate it. So your C-suite at any time during the life of a pursuit could go look into that pursuit and say, how well, now I'm paying Peter $225,000 for capture this year. And he's been working his capture for eight months. And I know he does these bi-weekly business review meetings, but how well is he really doing? That C-suite, that chief growth officer will be able to actually see in a traceable, irrefutable, defensible, explainable manner if I am holding my measure or not. So that's what makes Seth different. Um, it could quantify your readiness for recompete, and it could quantify the overall growth status of the company. And uh, that is a little bit more deeper explanation but it could quantify between zero and one. Okay. So in a nutshell, not that I can put this in a nutshell, part of what we were talking about before is that institutional knowledge that gets lost along the way. SET can take care of a good part of that institutional knowledge with proper use, right? Almost certainly. Yeah. And it educates people along the way. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. So, so wrap wrap this up for me. Um, I mean, I'm not I'm not asking you to sell the product, but I want you to tell people I want you to tell people why they need it. The reason they need it is because whenever you use set, okay, set allows set facilitates the thinking. Very often I see companies, they, they hire somebody retired from the Air Force as an 06, and the individual has a lot of mission experience. But they do not know how to do the thinking to win a competitive pursuit. And that thinking is not a process. It is not a process. It's a way that we interact with each other. And that's what SET facilitates. So for a large company, that's a value added. For a mid-sized company that has to win prime-based solution-based prime contracts that's in that middle market where they don't get the socioeconomic advantage and they don't have the ability to scale, SET gives them a competitive advantage because it allows them to, allows that thinking to come out that would not necessarily have come out. For smaller companies, what it does is it can allow you to go up the learning curve a lot faster in learning how to compete. Because if you're socioeconomic, say an 8A, and now you're trying to learn, learn to compete with maybe a year or two left, it's too late. So SET can bring you up a lot faster in learning how to compete. And, and SET can also take, you know, really companies that grow, business development is everybody's responsibility. But you can scale more junior individuals who could be capture managers a lot faster with SET and get them up to be higher performers. So that's another capability uh, offering uh, benefit, as I like to say. Cool. Peter, tell people how you can find the tool. You can go to our landing page. 
it's sort of a long uh, URL, but if you go to www.solutionengineeringtool.company, not .com, but .company, spelled the word company, you will be able to uh, learn more about SET. So we have some really great videos on our landing page uh, about it, and uh, we welcome uh, hearing from you. Peter, thank you very much. This is very cool. Uh, I'm glad we had this conversation because I I think this is a superb offering for the market. So, again, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mark. This is not my day job. I advise companies on the marketing side, not the capture or procurement side of the market. Um, I especially help companies stand out in the area of thought leadership, uh, sharing uh, content, and leveraging LinkedIn uh, to present yourself as a thought leader in the market. If that resonates at all, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 